My name is Peter Dawes. I'm the General Manager Lifeguard Operations for the RNLI. Uh, and I guess that makes me the senior operator as far as the lifeguard service is concerned. So my journey into lifeguarding started as a 13-year-old lifesaver in Australia. So I was one of the youngest lifeguards in that particular service in the Gold Coast. So it's actually fantastic now to see the growth of the RLI lifeguard service. We're now on more than 240 beaches. Each year we employ more than 1,600 lifeguards. You know, and that's uh, a fantastic effort when you consider uh, that we have to go from um, nothing in the off season to 1,600 employees, 240 locations. We have to get the equipment out. The lifeguards recruited and trained. We have to get facilities on the beach. Um, it is a huge effort uh, and it takes an awful lot of work from partners within the RNLI and outside the RNLI to make it happen each year. So probably throughout the late 1990s, early 2000, the RNLI was looking at other ways it could save more lives at sea. Uh, and one of the concepts they looked at was developing an RNLI lifeguard service. So uh, they went looking internationally uh, at what best practice was. Uh, and that's when I first um, came across the RNLI or, or they came to us and, and asked, you know, the way we were doing it in Australia. Uh, so uh, that began my engagement with the RNLI uh, in 2001. The lifeguard service started as a pilot in the southwest, uh, and since then uh, it's grown and grown, and it's now uh, in every region. It covers the Channel Islands, it's in Scotland, it's in Northern Ireland, uh, and it's in Wales. So you know, it's a it really is a national lifeguard service. What for me it's uh, you know it's great to see is. Uh, the impact that the lifeguard services had. Uh, if you think of what the lifeguards do every year, they respond to you know, around about 20,000 incidents, assisting you know, 24 to 25,000 people each year. Rather amazingly, they do four million preventative actions. Uh, if you think when people visit the beach, they're there to have a, a nice day. So lifeguards are there to make sure that they enjoy themselves and preventing something is a lot better than doing a rescue. Uh, and you know, since 2001, the lifeguards have been credited with almost 2,000 lives saved, around about 1,900 lives saved, and that's a, an amazing impact when you think of you know, the families that now have their loved ones at home. From the very genesis of the lifeguard service, they've gone looking for uh, international partners that they can share information with. At the very beginnings of the lifeguard service, it was very much a case of the RNLI absorbing information from those international partners. Uh, but over the last few years, they've really given back to those international organisations. The RNLI has done uh, a lot of research into lifeguarding uh, and it's shared that information with um, various partners and improved lifeguarding around the world, um, you know, which is, you know, it's great to see that we're giving back, having learnt from those international partners in the first place. So the importance of learning lessons from uh, other organisations uh, is that we can more rapidly uh, put 
the best life-saving interventions into place. I actually came out to introduce uh, rescue watercraft into the RNLI and they weren't using the sled attachments that you see in rescue services uh, around the world. Uh, it was developed first in Hawaii. Uh, we picked it up in Australia and we developed some training techniques around it. Uh, we were then able to come out to the UK uh, and you see that piece of equipment being passed from lifeguard service to lifeguard service uh, and there is a real international fraternity when you talk about the lifeguard services. And information has been shared for you know, well over a hundred years. You know, whether that be improvements in resuscitation techniques, uh, the introduction of, of even simple pieces of rescue equipment like the rescue boards, the rescue tubes that people use, um, you know, right through to really advanced equipment using uh, helicopters, using uh, IRBs, you know, that has all been shared internationally and, and even now using technology like drones, camera systems, you know, that, that information is all being shared between lifeguard services around the world and that way we can advance our use of those innov innovations more quickly. So it's not just information, ideas uh, and different pieces of equipment that the lifeguard services around the world share. We we share personnel as well. Uh, for a lot of lifeguards, they work almost an endless summer. They'll alternate between the southern and the northern hemisphere. And the RNLI uh, each year, around about 10% of our lifeguards on average uh, come from overseas, and quite a lot of our lifeguards work overseas. So in particular, um, we've got lifeguards who work in South Africa, we've got lifeguards who work in New Zealand and Australia, but we also do you know, some um, exchanges, if you like that, they're informal, uh, with our European colleagues. So the RNLI lifeguards are really well respected internationally. They uh, have an opportunity to apply for overseas jobs, uh, and if they come with RNLI training, RNLI credentials, you know, that really does help them in their applications, you know. To some extent, the UK has moved from perhaps being a bit of a net importer of lifeguards, where a lot of the lifeguards that used to work uh, on our beaches did come from overseas. You know, the reality is it's, it's now more levelled up. You, there's more chance of walking around New Zealand or Australia uh, and finding an RNLI lifeguard who's now uh, working you know, our winter in their summer. When we talk about how a lifeguard spends their day on the beach, uh, most of their time is spent on surveillance, so watching the water, looking for hazards. Uh, then if they see something going amiss, their primary objective is to prevent it. In fact, they do probably more first aid incidents than they, you know, than they do in-water incidents. Uh, and to some extent, if it wasn't for the presence of the lifeguard service, there would be added pressure on the ambulance services and the NHS uh, because we deal with incidents that would perhaps uh, normally require an ambulance. If the lifeguards deal with it, then it no longer requires an ambulance, uh, or it avoids people having to turn up in a minor injuries unit. So people often ask me what makes a good lifeguard, uh, and a lot of people have a perception that it's the best swimmer, it's the best person in the surf, uh, and that's not necessarily the case. There are an awful lot of uh, softer skills to being a lifeguard, some non-technical skills. You know, it's about leadership, it's about communication, uh, it's about uh, decision-making, problem-solving. So 
really for a lifeguard, we're looking for somebody who can think on their feet, works well with the team, and can communicate with the public. You know, that's what we're looking for in a good lifeguard. It's not always about being the best swimmer. People sometimes ask me, uh, as a lifeguard, what my most memorable rescue is. And while I've been involved in quite a lot of rescues that have been on the beach and in the surf, uh, I was also a member of a helicopter rescue crew. And uh, we were called to rescue a, a young lad that had been swept in flood water and had ended up in a tree in the middle of uh, a flooded river. So uh, the police, the ambulance, the state emergency service, they weren't able to access uh, the young lad to perform a rescue so they asked for the helicopter for support. Uh, when we arrived we ended up being confronted with a rather difficult access situation. Uh, the helicopter had to actually fly under power lines uh, to get to the casualty. Uh, and then the tree canopy was too wide that we couldn't actually hover directly overhead because of the positioning of the power wires. So uh, I was um, dispatched into the water uh, on the winch wire and had to actually use the currents to surf over to uh, the young lads so that we could get them out of uh, the tree. Uh, and for the light helicopter we had, we could only take one person up on the winch. So. Um, got the young lad into the winch, he, uh, he was taken into the helicopter and that left me uh, in his position, now sitting in a tree uh, in the middle of a flooded river uh, and I had to swim my way out uh, from there and was fortunate to be able to navigate to where the police and emergency services were on the banks of the river so they could assist me but um, quite a difficult rescue and the end result of that is the helicopter crew uh, received a meritorious award, but more importantly, uh, we made sure that the young lad got home safely. Afterwards, you might think about the what-ifs of what you know, might have gone wrong, uh, but the reality is you know, that's what we trained for. So as lifeguards, we do a lot of education, and we get asked, what do you do if you get caught in a rip? Uh, and you know, if people have done the first basic thing we ask them to do, which is come to a lifeguarded beach, swim between the red and yellow flags, uh, then the lifeguard's there to assist them. So if they do get stuck in a situation they can't get themselves out of, uh, then we ask them to lie back, relax and float. So the RNLI has that lovely message of float to live, and I can tell you from experience it, it really does work. It buys you that time uh, for the lifeguards to come and rescue. We often end up doing rescues where uh, someone has seen somebody in trouble and they've gone to assist and unfortunately we end up doing two rescues uh, and it's often the person who goes to the rescue that gets into the most trouble. So if somebody does get in trouble our advice always is you know make sure you go and get help. You know either phone the Coast Guard uh, or if you're on a lifeguarded beach go and get the lifeguard. If there's any difficulties you know phone 999 or 112, ask for the Coast Guard. Uh, one of the words I, I actually would tend to use to describe the organisation comes from the title itself. It is an institution. And to me, that embodies the fact that it has uh, the trust of the nation. It has such a long history uh, and that it uh, is, you know, we are all custodians of our time in the RNLI 
and we have to look after this precious institution, um, not only now, but for the future generations. Hello, this is Tani Gray-Thompson. You've been listening to the RNLI's 200 Voices Collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org slash 200 Voices or subscribe to RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Diolchan Vawr. 200 Voices is produced for the RNLI by Adventurous Audio Limited.